We're going to have our main Bible reading now, which is Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 17. And if you'd like to follow, you'll find it there on page 984 of the uh, Church Bibles. And it says this. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For if you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which has been renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, skidding, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another, and, if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so that you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Well, do keep uh, that text open. We're going to be looking at that together. Uh, just a few things as we start. There's an outline of where we're going in your service sheet. Uh, so do use that if it helps you to steady thinking, make notes um, as you would like. And at the end of the talk, there will be an opportunity to ask any questions or make any comments. Um, we do it every week here at Trinity. So it might be an opportunity to ask for clarification of something which was said or ask a bit further on an implication of uh, what we'll be looking at or even something in the text that we didn't get a chance to look at but you're itching to know. So I mention that now so as we go through, you can bear that in mind. But before we go any further, let's pray and ask for God's help. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the God who is good and truthful and sovereign over us. And we pray, please, that as we reflect on your word, we would be those who would vindicate uh, who you are in our response to your word, that we would listen to it, trust it, and obey it. For Jesus' sake, amen. The idea of following Jesus is a prominent one in the New Testament. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus said to would-be disciples, come, follow me. But this is where it ends. For the idea of following Jesus ceases after you come to the end of the Gospels. The New Testament letters never talk about Christians as followers of Jesus. Why is this? And if the New Testament letters never talk about Christians as followers of Jesus, how do they talk about Christians? And how do we account for this change? What would be its significance? Well, turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. It's on page 984 of the Church Bibles, and let's have a look. Let me read again from verse 1. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Paul speaks here about certain events in the life of Jesus. His death, that he was raised and is now seated at the right hand of God, and that he will return in glory. And notice that corresponding to those events are events that have happened or will happen to the Christian. That the Christian has died with Christ, that they have been raised with Christ, and that the Christian will appear in glory when Christ appears in glory. That is to say that Jesus' work in his death and resurrection and ascension, the Christian shares in, participates in, benefits from. It's the idea that through faith, we are united to Christ. We are in faith union with him. And the implication being that what is his is ours. Now, we might be most familiar with this idea in relation to our understanding of Jesus' death. That on the cross, he took our sin and paid the penalty for it in his death. And he gave us his righteousness. Now, our union with him means that he takes our sin 
and he gives his righteousness. But here in Colossians chapter 3, Paul explores further the implication of this union for believers. That they have died with Christ, they have been raised with him, and have been given new life with him. There are a number of important implications of this for us. One is the sheer assurance of the believer. You see, you can't be half raised. You're either raised with Christ or you're not raised with Christ. And if you are raised with Christ, who is seated at the right hand of God, then that is a very secure position one above all powers and authorities. But that's not the implication that Paul explores here. Rather, it's the ethical implications, the, the moral implications of how we are now to live. It's initially put in terms of seeking the things above. That is, to have our minds have in our minds this reality that the old self is now dead and we have a new life with Christ. And that, that this is to be our guiding principle for our thinking and our action. Seeking the things above is then spelt out in very concrete ways by Paul in the remainder of our section in terms of putting off that which characterizes the old self and putting on that which characterizes the new self. Well, firstly then, putting off is the big idea in verses 5 to 11. Let's read again verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. The putting off is put in terms of those characteristics that characterize the old self. Now, it's interesting that for some of us, it's this putting off that has been emphasized to us about Christian living. You know, that we're not to do these things, that we're to stop doing these things. And it can sound quite negative. But take, take another look at verses 9 and 10. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Paul understands this putting off as part of a renewal. A renewal in the image of our creator. This language, of course, takes us back to Genesis chapter 1, where humanity is created in the image of God. But that image has been marred at the fall 
It's been corrupted, twisted. And this putting off is part of the restoral of that image. If we lose Genesis 1 and 2, then the putting off is just stopping something. But with Genesis 1 and 2, there is a return. There is a, a recovering that which was fallen, a restoration. God's creation purpose for humanity is brought about by this putting off of the old self. And so rather than thinking that this putting off is about not doing something, it's really about renewal. In the final section, in verses 12 to 17, there is a putting on. Let's read again from verse 12. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another, and, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Again, a number of characteristics are listed, but this time they're to be put on, as those that are fitting for the people of God. And they're worth careful attention. But for now, notice the things to be put on are that which are from relational categories. You can't put off and put on in isolation. For these things concern one another. We're to be patient with one another. And it's, it's the same as the putting off. Verse 9, do not lie to one another. The putting off and putting on that Paul envisages is to be worked out in the relationships among the people of God. It's interesting that it's been observed that salvation in the here and now can be thought of as about my individual salvation, and then it's at the end that the whole creation is restored. So that it's individual now, and only then the whole thing. But that's not accurate, because the redemption that we're experiencing now is the redemption of a people. And with that redemption comes the redemption of those relationships. As we're reconciled to God, we're reconciled to one another, and our relationships are renewed. Now this has important implications for how we think about our relationships, what they consist of, 
how we engage with one another as God's new creation has already begun in the new creation of a people. Putting off and putting on aren't really individual things. They can't be done in isolation. They concern our redeemed relationships as the people of God. Part of our salvation is the relationships that we now have with one another. We began by observing that the idea of following Jesus, whilst common in the Gospels, is not found in the New Testament letters. Well, what then are we to conclude? Well, it seems to be the case that the idea of following Jesus was used in the Gospels for people who actually were there when Jesus was on earth. You know, the disciples literally followed him. They left their boats and followed him. You haven't got time to bury the dead, says Jesus. I'm off to Jerusalem to die. Follow me, else you'll miss it. The term was used in the gospel for people who actually were there when Jesus was there on earth. And that was crucial. That the disciples were there when Jesus was here on earth and saw them with, with their own eyes and touched them with their own hands. That we weren't there and we rely on their apostolic witness. Those who follow Jesus have told us and passed on to us what we now know. But during that time, it couldn't be said of any of them that they had died with Christ and been raised with Christ because Christ had not yet died, nor had he been raised. We live on the other side of Jesus' death, resurrection and ascension. And that changes things. We live in this period between the ascension of Jesus and his return in glory. And as such, we've already died with him and been raised with him. Now, the point of all this is not that there is some kind of word police, so that if you are caught saying, I follow Jesus, you'll find yourself pulled out into some back room. And Rather, the exercise has been about appreciating our position in the storyline of the Bible. We're not those who follow Jesus around. He is now raised and seated at the right hand of God, and we are raised with him. And while we wait for his return, Paul calls us to live consistent lives, to live consistently with that reality. That we set our minds on that reality of who we now are and put off that which belongs to the old self and put on that which belongs to the new self. Let's pray.
and then I'll open it up to any questions or comments you might have. Heavenly Father, thank you for the um, tremendous truth that when we put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are united to him. And we thank you for the benefits that brings, not least that he takes our sin and gives us his righteousness. But we thank you too that it also means that we have died with Christ and been raised with him. Uh, that we now have a new life in the kingdom of God, adopted as sons uh, with him. And we pray that we would heed uh, this call of the Apostle Paul to live consistently with this, that we would be who we are as we put off that which belongs to the old self and put on that which belongs to the new that has been renewed in the image of our Creator. Amen. Okay. Would anyone like to ask a question or make a comment? <coughs> Nikki. Yes, thank you. How do we define meekness and how is that different from humility? So, first of all, um, let me make a few preliminary comments and then I'll come back to the specific question. So, there could be a temptation, I think, to uh, because it's such a nice passage, Colossians 3, to think about this is the passage where we put off, put on, and then you know, we go through the list and we think, I put these things off, I put these things on, job done, what's sort of next? Um, but I don't think that's quite what Paul is doing. I think he envisages that we do stop and, and um, uh, reflect on this and, and take stock of, um, of where we are. But I don't think the lists are exhaustive, and therefore, um, I think the thing that he's giving us is um, how, how to think about growth in character, and particularly that it comes from an understanding of the reality that we are now in the kingdom of God. We now have this new life, and therefore we're to live consistently as the people of God. And that this will be, I mean, interesting, you could go back to chapter 2, verse 6, which I think is 6 and 7, which is the, I think is the uh, topic sentence for the whole letter, which says, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And the thing to notice here is that just as you receive Christ Jesus Lord, so walk in him, continue. 
So it's this picture of that when we become a Christian, we submit to Jesus as Lord. And the way on as a Christian is we continue to do that. It's a, it's a more and a more and more. So this is a, an ongoing process that we're to give ourselves to for the rest of our, um, our life on earth as we are increasingly sanctified in preparation for our, our glorification in Christ's return. So in that sense, that's just a, a preliminary <coughs> thing. Now, in terms of the, the words themselves, also, I think, um, I'm not sure how helpful it is to just simply define words, um, so kind of give a dictionary definition of each word, and then just think, okay, humility is this, meekness is this, and therefore, are you doing those things, sort of a tick box type thing. But actually, that these words... Um, characterize who God is, how he relates to us, how his son has related to us, and so that as we grow in knowledge of him, that we will be increasingly getting to know him, and then we will reflect him as image bearers. And that, of course, goes back to chapter one, where the prayer is that we would be filled with the knowledge of his will, that we would get to know him better. And as we do, we will then know more about what a life that's worthy of the calling, um, a life that pleases him. Now, all that said, I mean, I think humility and meekness, there is overlap here. And, and I think I, I was you know, thinking about this um, this week, and I, I take it you know, an obvious place to go to is the life of Christ. And there we see his humility and meekness in not only in, in his incarnation, but it's interesting that, you know, his prayer where he says, not my will, but your will be done, that there is that submission, there is that the thing that characterizes him as the son is that he submits to the father and does his will with joy. Um, there's nothing that the son would rather do than submit to his father. And so I think that's probably quite a helpful place to go in exploring themes of humility and meekness, that actually how is, how is that revealed in... Um, in the character of God, and not least in the Son and his relationship to the Father. But can you see that takes you in the direction of, well, I want to read that again, I want to rethink those things through, rather than a sort of going to a dictionary and just thinking, what are these words, you know, and sort of, okay, I've done that, I've done that, but that we're... Does that, does that help? Okay. Anybody else? Nathan.
Yes, let me just uh, repeat that for the recording because it's a super helpful comment. So last week we were exploring what, if you like, spirituality doesn't look like. And one thing that came up a couple of times, I think it was in chapter 2, verse 18 and 23, this idea of asceticism, of, of um, putting off the physical, denying yourself. There was a, we've explored that there is an, an, an unhelpful denial of self when it comes to trying to um, put off that which is physical. Um, and it's quite a helpful observation. And then Nathan's saying, actually, whereas here he's positively saying, oh, the putting off and putting on isn't putting off the physical and putting on the non-physical, but actually it's, it's putting off that which characterizes um, those characteristics of fallen humanity, of a, of a life that's in rebellion against God, and a life that's hostile to God, and a life that's, that's turned in on itself to one which is actually renewed in the image of its creator. So, yes, and just so that, um, I can add one thing to that, is that, do you notice the way he uses the word earth and earthly? Don't confuse that by thinking that means physical. Okay, because the contrast isn't between the physical and the non-physical. The earthly is basically that which characterizes a world that's hostile to God. Sometimes you get that in the Bible. John uses it quite a lot. When he talks about the world, he's not talking about just a big planet. He's talking about kind of the world, a fallen world that's, that's evil and that is in need of redemption. So the contrast here is between that which is earthly, that which is fallen, to the, the kingdom of God. And the, the point here is that through Christ we've been transferred from that realm into this realm, and therefore the imperative is live consistently. Yeah. Good one. Time for one more? Simon. I guess so, if you've got to put it off. <laughs> um, yeah, so I wonder if this is... Um, again, I go back to Nikki's thing. It's quite difficult because I don't... You know, you can look in the commentary and they sort of try and define the words, but again, I'm not sure to what extent they're saying, here's a, a list, you know, you need to sort of put off passion. Have you done that yet? What does that mean? But this is a... Let me give you a description of, of, of that life. It's, it's that life you have to put off and this life that you put on. And you do that through the renewing of your mind as you get to know God better. And that's the kind of the thing. But I take it here, the passion is, um, is uh, okay, let me make a suggestion. It's related to lack of, um, lack of control, lack of self control, um, because I guess if it's placed with things like sexual morality, impurity, evil desire, and covetousness, that's this idea of taking, taking that which isn't ours to take. Um, and, it's so, and, and I guess this goes back to, so it's interesting you say, well, are passions, you know, because a passion's good or bad. And this is why I think the idea of um, evil as twisted good is very helpful because sex is the easiest one because here it says put off sexual immorality 
but that doesn't say put off sex because sex is a good thing and has a right place. It's just that uh, sex can be twisted and misused. Um, and so I think that's true for everything. But I think that's why sin can be so attractive because it is taking something good and then just using it incorrectly. So like passion can be a good thing if it's directed at that which is um, you know, worthy of our desires. Um, but if it's a, if it's corrupted, if it's a, um, taking that which we, and also I think again I try with these things. It's like when we did proverbs. I'm, I'm trying to think of the storyline of the Bible where you might see examples of this. And I think an obvious example here would be to go back to Genesis three, where you see the desires of Adam and Eve taking fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which they were told not to take from. But they, they let their passions run wild. They just thought, we want this because we get the knowledge of good and evil and we think that that's been kept from us and it's a good thing for us to have. But in doing so, they brought death. So, uh, um, and I think that probably explains the idolatry that's, that's kind of linked with all of that. Because then it's, it's God has told us about how his good creation works and how the different things are to be used. But actually... Um, doing things our own way ultimately is usurping his place and saying actually uh, I like to think of God differently, I'm, I'm, I'm going to please myself and, and, and do life my own way so is that right? Good, okay we'll leave it there